you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Aaron Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B and J Mac are on tap. I have to just, I uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to cover it. So I just have to say, <laughs> I lost track. <laughs> I lost track of time. Uh-huh. I lost track of where we were and getting ready for the show. Yeah. And so I had a cough drop in my mouth. Okay. And then I started to, like, my mind just kind of checked out. So I didn't realize. And, and then the music and... The feel of, oh, I'm about to have to talk. Suddenly I realized I just for some reason I was distracted. So I thought, let me quickly chew it Uh-oh. just so that, you know, and then <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> if it's uh, I'm I'm not You're having right. lunch while I do this shit. Okay. Well, I just right. there's, you know, anybody's ever <laughs> chewed a cough drop. First of all, that'll open your nose real fast. Yes. OK, it's not really meant for that. And then second of all. Um, there's, you know, remnants of it in your teeth and and you can't just, oh. um, <laughs> I was, I, here's, here's what my intent was. Let me get the cough drop out of the way. Yeah. Try and spare our listeners from, you know, the, the, the coughing right. and then led to other problems. So here we are. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm Miki. And I'm Will. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Um, today we want to talk about a faith without friction, um, oh. Yeah, a faith without friction. We were talking about this, and and really, I, I believe that um, a faith without friction is a facade. That's not mm. that's not the true, earnest faith that we have inherited. Mm. So we want to have a conversation around this mm. and 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 discuss what it is that we have actually inherited in the body of Christ. Um, I think, and and I want to say something here, and we're going to kind of take our time and unpack it, and then still, by God's grace, uh, have time to to um, get some calls in the last segment because I'd like to get your take on this, get some of your input. I've got this is a um, this is a packed show. Whenever I have four books, um, <laughs> just kind of spread out across my desk, all of them kind of butter- butterflied open. Like I, 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 there's four different areas I want to go. Uh, most important book is the Bible Amen. laid out on the desk here. Straight edge. Um, but straight edge of scripture. I just want to, um, cause I'm going to point to some things in, in the history of the church that will remind us um, what we've been called to. And also hopefully stir us up and kind of provoke us when we think about how our brothers and sisters um, lived and it was just normal. It wasn't called on fire living. Mm. Like it was just normal living. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. And then also I want to refer to something that um, that John Piper wrote in um, late 1995 that I think, again, we don't even realize that we have rejected what is supposed to be innate to, to our faith. We don't realize that we've kind of turned away from that or we've shunned that because we've led pretty comfortable lives uh, in the United States of America. But I'm hoping that in some ways I can stir us up as we talk about the opportunity, the opportunity that we have to be more and more peculiar. Listen to me, brothers and sisters, 
Um, you guys know unapologetically, we um, seek to encourage the body of Christ when we talk about what's going on in the culture. We're not trying to gain a secular audience. In fact, what we are attempting to do is to encourage and equip the body of Christ to engage the culture, to be able Amen. to stand against the wickedness that is pervasive in the culture. And um, and so so I say that to say when we talk about our failures, this is something that we all must kind of share in. We all must talk about what it is that we have expected when we decided, and you can hear the song in your mind, <laughs> decided to follow Jesus, yeah. no turning back. Um, I also want to play a clip from uh, yesterday. Um, <laughs> listen, if we don't, if we don't know what a woman is, okay, and it's, it is divisive to say what a woman is or it reveals too much of, you know, an allegiance to a certain political view right. to say what a woman is. And so it has to be avoided. Um, guys, prepare yeah. for the persecution to ramp up. Yes. It's it's crazy. Yeah. It, it's crazy. And, and we would get to that clip and I'm sure people have heard it already, but it's just, sure. a, it's just a thing of like, man, this is where we are. We are here, you yeah. know, um, for there to be such a, um, with a word salad, I guess it would, you, you, mm -hmm. it would be called when asked a simple question Yeah, to define, you know, it's like, wow, we are here. And this is the, the person that is up to be on the Supreme court. So, hmm. you know, I think we have to be sober we have to look at things and, and say, man, look, Lord, you know, help me to be ready. Help yeah. me to be, you know, solidified in what I believe and know mm -hmm. because it's man, it, we are here. Yes. Yes. So let's just jump into it. And I think what we could do is sort of like um, lay out where we want to go, like kind okay. of have a roadmap for where we want to go. And one of the things that I wanted us to begin with was just kind of, um, Man, and we, we we can't exhaust it because we would spend several shows just exhausting this topic, uh, what the promises are of our faith. Like, what is it that has been promised to us? What is it that we can expect? Um, unfortunately for us, we now listen, I know that there would be many of us, myself included, and I want to be as transparent with you as I possibly can. Myself included, I would say. Oh, I have not come to a faith that is your best life now. Mm -hmm. No, like I would reject that on its face. Right. Many of us would. There, yeah. There'd be well, many yeah. of us who'd say, yeah, that's laughable. You've got people around here talking about their best life now. Right. However, let me ask you if you've ever heard this argument or made this argument. And um, a, a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago, I can't remember exactly. But in a recent conversation with our children, as we were talking about um, the faith and, and just talking about what it is to follow Jesus, one of our kids said, and, and I want to tell you at the time I was like, oh yeah, that's a good point because in my life, this has been a point that has been made even, um, even while we are giving up what we think are our normal comforts to follow Jesus, we mm -hmm. would still say, let me tell you what the argument is. The argument is this, if you're talking to someone who, um, doesn't believe in Jesus or doesn't believe that God is or says I don't know right you know agnostic um, then the argument goes that you would say to that person well you know if I'm wrong 
right? If I'm wrong, um, then I lose nothing. Mm-hmm. I've I've lived a pretty good life, and um, you know, then we just die. Mm-hmm. And then you say to the other person, "But if you're wrong, yeah, right." There is a God. He does judge sin. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ, then you are you are forever condemned because of that sin. Mm-hmm. Now, think about this, guys. Let's just have a, 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 a real talk here. How many of us have heard that argument mm-hmm. and felt like that was a really and good argument <laughs> and even used it yeah. right right here? Yeah. I'm raising my hand. I'm saying, yeah, that's good, because what we are appealing to is we are saying, hey, listen, what what is it? that you really have to lose. Like I'm saying, I've lived a good life. I'm not going to be ashamed of the life that I've lived in Christ, which I think that the, 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 what underpins that, that defense. Okay. Is Mm well-meaning. Right. But I do not think it is sufficient for the faith that we truly have inherited. Mm. I think it sells the faith short. And I think it presents to the person who would hear that argument, a version Oh, goodness, guys, I hate to say it because, look, I'm, I'm, I'm right here. It, it gives to a person a version of your best life now. Hmm. How so? When, well, OK, so let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul said. So I want to because I, I really want to kind of unpack this so that we can understand that when we take a position in culture, when we stand against wickedness and all of these things, because one of the things that we're trying to help our kids do is to connect the sacrifices that they make, connect their um, declarations of truth to the call that is ours, which is to come and die. Right. That's our call to come and die. So do you remember um, in First Corinthians where the Apostle Paul is is writing to the church about the resurrection of the dead, because there are some who are saying that there is no resurrection from the dead. And the Apostle Paul is like, yes, of course, the dead are raised and chiefly (laughs) Christ. Christ is risen. Okay, and that's that's the full thrust and weight of that argument. But I want to read something to you. and And I want us to just pause for a moment and think about what it is that Paul says, sort of like as the Um, If the dead are not raised, in other words, if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, so he's making the philosophical argument that we begin with where we say, well, if there is no if Christ is not the Messiah, Mm -hmm. if there is no God, he begins with that same premise to set up his question. Yeah. But you're going to see clearly in Scripture, he arrives at a totally different end than we do. Mm. And and I'm going to tell you so okay so here we go I'm First Corinthians chapter um chapter 15 verse 19 so listen to this okay the Apostle Paul writing to the the Corinthians if in Christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied so if we only have hope in this life mm-hmm. if there if the dead are not raised if there is no life after this right then Paul says we should be pitied. Hmm. Oh, have mercy on us. Okay, but now look at verse uh, verses 30 through 34. All right, verses 30 through 34. Paul asks these questions. He says, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. Verse 32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? Hmm. Then he says this. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Mm. Okay, so let me kind Mm. of fill in some blanks here. The Apostle Paul is saying. 
if we're only hoping that saying, okay, we, at least we lived a good life, mm-hmm. right? He's saying we should be pitied. That's a shame. That's a shame. He's not giving this sort of backdoor that if the dead are not raised, then at least you lived a good life. That's, that's not what's coming from him. Then he's saying, if I have done all of these things, if I have suffered, if I have sacrificed and the dead are not raised, he's saying, why am I living this life of sacrifice? Then he says, I should eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And that's it. So what does that argument presuppose? That argument presupposes that all of the promises of the faith are true in your life. And what are those promises? Now, for some people, when I say the promises of the faith, we start to think of things like blessed in the city and blessed in the field. We think blessed when we come and when we go. Y'all can hear Fred <laughs> Hammond, right? You can hear the organ get going. But the promises of our faith include John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace mm-hmm. in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, we don't think about those things because we have lived a a pretty comfortable life. And I think, in fact, the reason we could make an argument where we say, if I'm wrong, then I've lost nothing is because we have lived a sort of best life now type life. Guys, and I'm not look, I'm not saying this from a place of like wagging a finger. I'm saying this from a place of like, man, this really this this had a sting to it. As I started to process this and think about what it is that Jesus calls us to. And I and hopefully we can get through all of this. And and because I, I want to tie it together by looking at what it is that we face in a culture where the invitation is highlighted and, and um, expressed that we have been invited to come to Christ and die. That's that has that is the invitation to come to Christ and die. We have not understood that. We have not experienced that, except that we think, oh, missionaries who go overseas. Now, that is true. There is not only a willingness, but there is a demonstration that I will die for this faith. And so we think that if we're not called to do those things, that maybe we have escaped the call to um, take up your cross Hmm. and follow me. Hmm. But what I'm going to argue for you today and then we'll talk some application is that all of us, that the call has not changed. We are all called to take up our cross and follow Jesus Christ. Amen. It is an invitation to come and die. All right. Aaron, the Addison's American family radio. We'll take the break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that's Jennifer Meckel with Great God. Faith without friction is a facade. That's our topic today. Faith without friction is a facade. Why, why, why are we continuing to go over this? Because, listen, we have largely lived as Christians in America with a frictionless faith. Mm. We have. We, we have lived um, pretty comfortable 
um, and and we've thought that some of our some of our inconveniences have been suffering. Um, but I, I I say this not there's no like joy in it, but just a sobriety that we need to prepare ourselves um, to even while we fight and while we push back against what's going on in the culture, we need to prepare ourselves for what will be unchanged. Yeah. Right. That we will suffer persecution. And we have to understand that that's not um, a possibility of the faith. It is the expectation of the faith. Right. And so this this idea that we would say, well, you know, if I got to the end of my life and, and it turns out that, you know, I believed wrongly and Jesus is not the Messiah and in him there is not salvation or resurrection from the dead. Then, well, I lived a good life. Well, then you have not lived the mm. godly life. Mm. It sounds you may like have no, lived a, no tension at all. Not at all. Mm. Not at all. And, and I want to go back to this and then I want to I want to I want to move to the teachings of, of Jesus Christ. But I want to go back to the Apostle Paul in first Corinthians chapter 15. Um, I'm going to start at. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 14 just to give a little more context to Paul's statement that if in this life we only hope in Jesus Christ or we have hoped in Jesus Christ only in this life, then it, we are to be most pitied. Among all men. Now think about that, because there's some of us that we have comforted ourselves with. Well, you know, I'm living a good life. So so even if I'm wrong, we say, well, I'm you know, I've done the right thing. But you have to understand what our declaration is when we talk about what it is to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in addition to our hope in life eternal with him. It is also us signing up to suffer with him. The Bible says that he left us an example of suffering so that we would suffer with him. So here again, the Apostle Paul, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to start at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been raised, um, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope or some translations say we've hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, keep in mind, this is one continual thought here, because in the context of all of this, this is if we if we do not have the hope that we say we have, that there is resurrection from the dead, mm -hmm. that we are going to live for eternity with God because of what Jesus Christ did. Right. Then why are we living these sacrificial lives? The reason sometimes it's difficult for us to connect with this text is because we are not living sacrificial lives. Mm -hmm. It's difficult for us to process this because our life is pretty good. It's pretty comfortable. And we dare not mess that up. Hmm. We kind of just get to add. Um, we just get to add our our Christian, you know, name or Christian title to this comfortable life. But it doesn't it doesn't really cost us anything. I want to look at a couple more passages of scripture and then kind of uh, bring this all together and then look at the early church as well. And then again. Uh, get around to phone lines. So here is Jesus um, where he's asking the apostles, you know, who do men say that I am? Who do, who do men say that I am? And it's Peter who confesses that Jesus is the Christ. You guys remember this? Yeah. Well, shortly after this exchange, this is Matthew chapter 16 verses 21 
Um, and I'm going to read to 27. I want you to just just like think about this, right? It's very convicting to me. I don't know if, it, if it'll be convicting for our listeners. But here's verse 21, chapter 16 of Matthew. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Mm. Now, let's not stop there. Let's continue reading. Verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Now, if you think about this, you think about the progression of this exchange between our Lord and the Apostle Peter. And then you you think about what Jesus says for any of us who will come to him. So what is what is the Apostle Peter trying to spare the Lord? Suffering. Mm. You No, not so. You will not suffer. Because remember, he doesn't just say that he's going to die. He says he's going to suffer. Right? Yeah. And, and so it's not just the death. Like sometimes we look at this passage and it's like Peter's just saying, oh, no, 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 no. But it's all of it that Peter is standing in the way of. And how do we know this? Because the apostle Peter himself would later write that Jesus Christ left us an example of suffering. Mm -hmm. Now, this culminates in his death, but all of it is an example that he left for us. This example of suffering even while we live. I want to say, I want to um, turn to one more scripture and then, of course, express a few thoughts about that. And then I want to look at what has been common in the history of the church and what that might look like for us today. And hopefully that's the application part, because I'm going to tell you, I, I'm increasingly losing my patience with the um, Christians who say, I don't know why you guys are always telling people what they need to do. Like, you know, why are you always calling for activists and people who do stuff? Well, that's, it's kind of in the DNA of the church. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make the point from church history. One, <laughs> another one of my faves. I'm going to make the point that Christians have always been about doing and it's in that doing. And, and here's the thing that has been unique in the United States of America, where at one time you had Christians who were always about doing. They were about doing even in the face of like imminent danger. Mm. But they were still about doing, which really makes us look like a special caliber of weak to be a, to be not about doing. But at the same time, not not to be facing the loss of life. Like, wow. really, we're, we're not about doing, but the dangers and I'm being facetious here when I say yeah, danger, yeah. the dangers we face are like being unfollowed, being maybe not getting a promotion, maybe being canceled on social media, maybe not mm -hmm. being able, you know, to get the kind of job you want because when they do a quick media search on you, then they mm -hmm. find that these are the things you once talked about or once advocated for. Or maybe they go and read a book that you wrote where you said men are men and women are women and there's a difference. <laughs> and so then you don't get to do whatever it is. And so when you think about those things, you're like, I'm out. Whereas in the early church, when they said, hey, that's wrong, it was uh, to the lions with them. Wow. 
Guys, I, what, what I'm telling you is that only the circumstances have changed, but the requirement, the call, and the expectations all remain the same. They mm. all remain the same. So we have now found ourselves in the United States of America wow. Wow. at a time where, I mean, you know, there are no physical lions. Right. But there are people and there are groups that really are salivating for the believer. And when you put it that way, the way that you you put it, and I know you're going to make the case, it's like, man, you got to think as a believer. So why am I so, uh, you know, uh, passive Mm-hmm. In, in standing for righteousness. You know, mm-hmm. we, you're right. We're not facing the literal lions, mm-hmm. you know, but there are other lions in culture, but it's more of being like ostracized or it's more yes. of being not liked. And that, why does that hurt us so deeply? Yes. You know, if we're standing for righteousness, man. That's I, a, I really believe thought. because, I really believe because the faith that we have come to, we have come to faith in a context of ease. Mm. all of us wow and i and i listen guys i'm this is for me i this is i've been talking about this is for me you understand what i'm saying (laughs) yes we have come to the faith in a context of ease so we are unaware that we love it so Mm. we are unaware that when we can make the argument that well i've lived a good life if i get to the end of my life and this is not true ah like i will never say that again Mm. I will never say that again. Like, and I, I and I'm, and and by the way, I'm, I'm, we're having this conversation, and we've got to go back and have this conversation with our kids, mm-hmm. because in the midst of having this conversation, I remember specifically being like, "Oh, that's a pretty good argument. Yeah, that's good." Mm-hmm. You know, and and now I feel like I know, so I got to go back and we got to have this discussion. We got to we got to beat this out, right? How do how do we you know arrive at a better conclusion <laughs> based on the Word of God and not just the philosophy of man? Okay. And not a we teach beating. No, right. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> no Unless somebody resists. I'm kidding. <laughs> Look at what the Apostle Paul said, because we're talking about what is it, what are the promises of our faith, right? Mm-hmm. The Apostle Paul said in his second le- letter to Timothy, he was talking about those perilous times that were going to come, and he was talking about how um, Timothy was going to encounter these godless men, right? Um, but then he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to start at verse 10. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching. Now, listen, listen very carefully to this, guys. Paul writes, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Verse 11. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, and this is what we try to do every day on this show. Go back to the straight edge. Go back to the word of God. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood... You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So look, all of this is going to be like, there's going to be this great fallout. All right. Men, men going from bad to worse, right? Deceiving. Okay. Those who are the posers, 
But what is Paul's remedy for Timothy? How 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 can you? What is your defense against remember that? You got to remember the, the sacred writings. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, guys, that is why when we are looking at what is happening in the culture, we're not just taking these stories and preaching these stories at you. Mm. We are taking these stories, these things that have become culturally normative, and we are saying, "Hey, let's go. Let's go back to, in Paul's words, the sacred writings." Mm. We call it the straight edge. Let's go. Let's go back to the straight edge of scripture and and let's determine what the Bible actually says about this. Listen to John Piper. This was at the end of 1995. Listen to what he wrote about Paul's um, Paul's comments about if the dead are not raised. Quote, when Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink. Does he mean that we should all become these, these lechers. He means there is a normal, simple, comfortable, ordinary life of human delights that we may enjoy with no troubling thoughts of heaven or hell or sin or holiness or godliness. If there is no resurrection from the dead. In other words, let me, let me just stop there and I'm going to go back to Piper's quotes here. Paul is saying, if there is no resurrection from the dead. If Christ is not risen, if our faith is in vain, then why trouble ourselves with thoughts of hell and with judgment? Why trouble ourselves with the suffering that characterizes our faith? Let's just live regular, hmm. watch it, hmm. good lives. Hmm. Wow. Let's live a comfortable, good life. Let's live our best life now. All right, back to Piper's quote. And what stunned me about this train of thought is that many professing Christians seem to aim at just this and call it Christianity. I man, it's like, a, I'm telling you, it's like a, it's like a punch in the nose when you read, it's like a punch in the nose because you, you think, okay, I, I am endeavoring to live for the glory of God. But can I tell you that I think even the way we have come to know Christ in the context of comfort has distorted what we actually um, believe is the glory of God. Like, I, I, I think, you know, our, our definition of suffering, our understanding of suffering has been distorted. And the enemy has used that to his advantage to keep us from laying our lives down, from taking that cross. Listen, you know, we we. We say we cling to the old rugged cross, but really a better definition for what we do is we, we wear a light, smooth cross. And sometimes it's, it's gold dipped and sometimes it's got diamonds on it. Whatever it is, it's totally unsuitable for climbing on and dying. It, it couldn't, it couldn't hold you up. The call to Christ is the call to come and die. That was the call from the beginning. That is the call today. It is not changed because 21st century America. So I'm going to talk about this in practical terms on the other side of the break. What does this mean when we find ourselves locking horns with entities like Disney and the like? Where we say, hey, that's wrong. We're standing up in the culture and as it were standing against the culture we're actually in good company. This is what those who walked in the faith before us actually did. Only difference is that they died. 
<laughs> in so doing. We'll be right back. And no, we don't negotiate with evil. They saying I can give you the world. But first you gotta poison all of your people. But I'm not for sale. 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 Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Mm, not. In okay. this context, so I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments, and I look at the right. law, and I decide. Well, so I'm not... The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. Just last week, an entire generation of young girls watched as our taxpayer-funded institutions permitted a biological man to compete and beat a biological woman in the NCAA swimming championships. What message do you think this sends to girls who aspire to compete and win in sports at the highest levels? Senator, I'm not sure what message that sends. If, if you're asking me about the legal issues related to it, um, those are topics that are being hotly discussed, as you say, and could come to the court. Mm, that's interesting. That look, let me tell you. Um, so behold, where we are. Yeah. Behold where we are. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee asking the likely first black. Uh, um, <laughs> Woman. I don't know. I don't. Can't, can't I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the first. <clears throat> the first black person with longer hair than Clarence Thomas um, to the Supreme court of the United States. Mm. So, you know what this tells me as I was thinking about this, you know, what this tells me that um, all of the things that we have been concerned about and the type of hostilities that we ourselves indeed ourselves and, and our children um, are, are going to face and are facing right now will really revolve around us telling the truth in yep. a culture that is hostile to it. Yep. So this is us telling the truth. So so what we've got to ready our kids for, and, and again, mm -hmm. we ourselves, um, is that we will suffer for telling the truth. When we agree with God, you have to understand, and what was it you were, you were talking earlier, Will the Great, and, mm -hmm. and you said, man, we're not greater than Jesus. No, Jesus even said, you know, the world hates you, know that it hated me first, you know? Yes. And that because you're not of the world, but I've taken you out of the world, they, they're not going to the world will love its own. Mm -hmm. And so we have to come to that realization really in our hearts, not in head knowledge only. That's right. You see what I'm saying? That's right. In our hearts, because that, that's the reality that we have been taken out, you know, of that worldly system. We're still in this world, but we still, you know, we're in this world, but we're not of it. That's and right. so the thing is, because the world does not want to hear the truth of the gospel, you know, does not want to hear the word of God. 
Well, we, the ones who rest upon the word of God, are going to be the ones who will be persecuted. Yes. It is, yes. Is, it is not that hard to even understand. This is how it's been over all time for the Christians, you know? And and I'm gonna let me open the phone lines, 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Give um, Sherry B. some time to get some calls queued up here while she's doing that. I just want to say this is our heritage. This is what would have been normal in the life of the Christian. This is what we would have always understood, that we are not going to be loved in the world. We had a unique experience here in the United and States the of America. And the thrived under yes, persecution. Under the persecution. It grew under yes. persecution. That's exactly right. That's ex- I, I believe it was Tertullian who said, um, I believe it was Tertullian who said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, mm. that every time you crush down the believer, the church grew. And this was factually true. This yeah. was we saw we well, we read we read about the numbers, but the the apologists and the martyrs, um, they were testifying of this mm-hmm. with their very lives. Let me read. This is from um, Church History in Plain Language, um, authored by the late Bruce Shelley. Revised by a man named R.L. Hatchett. And the reason I give you that information is because um, we will get emails and people will say, what was that book? So it's Church History in Plain Language and authored by the late Bruce Shelley. And and I want to read this to you. And and I I want you to just think about where we are here. Um, All right, here we go. Men always view with suspicion people who are different. Conformity, not distinctiveness, is the way to a trouble-free life. So the more early Christians took their faith seriously, the more they were in danger of crowd reaction. Mm. Thus, simply by living according to the teaching of Jesus, the Christian was a constant unspoken condemnation of the pagan way of life. Guys, I'm going to read that again. Simply by living according to the teachings of Jesus, the Christian was a constant unspoken condemnation of the pagan way of life. It was not that the Christian went about criticizing and condemning and disapproving, Mm. nor was he consciously self-righteous or superior. It was simply that the Christian ethic in itself was a criticism of pagan life. Mm. The Christian ethic in itself was a criticism of pagan life. So when we consume the filth that they produce, it does not criticize their pagan life. Come on. When we exalt it, then they parade about proudly. Wow. The Proverbs teach us this. Okay. Back to the book. (laughs) Bruce Shelley. Fundamental to the Christian lifestyle and the cause of endless hostility was the Christian's rejection of the pagan gods. The Greeks and Romans had deities for every aspect of living, for sowing and reaping, for rain and wind, for volcanoes and rivers, for birth and death. But to the Christians, these gods were nothing, and their denial of them marked the followers of Jesus as, quote, mm. enemies of the human race. Oh, God. All enemies- the gods around us, nothing? <laughs> Man, that, that, look, all the gods around us, nothing? And please don't be deceived, guys. Let me say this. Please don't be deceived. The gods around us today do demand to be worshipped. And every time we use their preferred pronouns, we are worshipping them. Every Mm. time we lie about the truth of the holiness of God, we are worshipping them. We are choosing them over Christ. That's a fact. Back to the book. One simply could not reject the gods without arousing scorn as a social misfit. For the pagan... Every meal began with a liquid offering and a prayer to the pagan gods. A Christian could not share in that. Most heathen feasts and social parties were held in the precincts of a temple after sacrifice had been made. And the invitation was usually to dine, quote, at the table of some god. 
Mm. A Christian could not go to such a feast. Inevitably, when he refused the invitation to some social occasion, the Christian seemed rude, boorish and discourteous. <laughs> Other social events Christians rejected wow. because they found them wrong in themselves. Now, here's where I want to lean in. All right. So I want you to listen to this. OK, well, all of it, really. But here we go. All right. <laughs> they found them wrong in themselves. Gladiatorial combat, for example, or gladiatorial combats, for example, were to the Christian inhuman. In amphitheaters all across the empire, the Romans forced prisoners of war and slaves to fight with each other to the death just for the amusement of the crowd. The excitement, listen, guys, the excitement was seductive. As late as the early 5th century, Augustine tells the story of his friend, Olypius, who agreed to attend a spectacle to please a friend but resolved to keep his eyes shut. Can you get a picture of this? Okay, I'm going to wow. go, but I'm going to close my eyes. <laughs> I'm, I'm going because you've invited me. I'm, I'm going to close my eyes. I'll continue now. When the shouting began, his eyes popped open and he was yelling above the rest. Mm, man. I'm... <sighs> Wow. One other one other one wow. other passage. Wow. This is from the story of the Christian church by the late Jesse Lyman uh, Hurlbut Hurlbut, the story of the Christian church. Yeah. Um, the gladiatorial games were interdicted. This is the section of the book where it talks about the imperial church. This is after the edict of Const Constantine 313 A.D. Um, and so this is looking at the effect of the spread of Christianity. OK. So the gladiatorial games were interdicted. This law was enforced in Constantine's new capital where the Hippodrome was never defiled by men slaughtering each other for the pleasure of the spectators. But the combats lingered in the Roman amphitheater until 404 AD. Listen, when the monk Telemachus leaped into the arena and endeavored to part the gladiators, mm. he was slain. But from that time, the killing of men for the enjoyment of a crowd ceased. So, wow. again, when you tell me, wow. well, we just need to not go, we don't need to say anything. I don't that's unrecognizable to early church, like the early church believers, early followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they were about being the aroma of Christ and, and decrying these things and saying that is evil. That is wicked. We will not participate in that. We will not do that. Yeah. But we are we are lazy in America because we're like, well, don't we listen? OK, grammatically incorrect for emphasis in America. We are lazy. We say things like, well, don't we got a law against that? In other words, I don't have to say anything, huh? Don't we have protections against that? I don't have to say anything. Far be it for me to be uncomfortable and lose friends. I mean, don't we have laws and, and things where we don't have to No, jump down in the arena is what I'm saying, man. Oh. And what I'm saying is don't don't kid yourself or your kids by making them think that they're stronger than they actually are, that your kids are going to be able to show up and watch the gladiatorial games. And then because what happens they're What happens? <laughs> Their eyes are open. And before you know it, even against all restraint, they're cheering and loving it mm. because it's been served to them. Wow. So what does it look like? And we go to the phone lines here. 888-589-8840. 888 888-589-8840. The Christian life has all been, always been about sacrifice. It's always been about us being distinct in the world. Guys, that's our heritage. That's our heritage. We are being most like our Savior when we are suffering as he did. When we are saying, I'm not going to do it. 
I'm going to tell you what a woman is. I'm going to tell you at a chromosomal level, if you've got XX, you're a woman, XY, you're a man. If you've got some kind of mutation there where you're intersex, I have to be able to say that there are two sexes that we're talking about to say that they're intersex. <laughs> like, what? I mean, come on. Even if you want to tell me, well, but, that, but, but, but actually, Miki, there's such a thing as intersex. Okay, right. But it presupposes that we're talking about two sexes that get crossed. So what are they? <laughs> boy go sit down don't don't even don't play with me all right well the great where do we go first all right let's go to mark in mississippi hi mark hey brother will how are you today doing great you and miss mickey i'm proud to hear y'all look at here huh? god bless you uh brother will you you're a bad boy on wednesday well will you hear me but, <laughs> but, uh, thank you <laughs> but 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 sister mickey is she serious now <laughs> I'm gonna have to give it up for both of y'all, but I just called in to. I'm gonna nominate Mickey to be the on the Supreme Court. <laughs> I, I actually called in because I, I I heard she was having trouble. Uh, the the what you call it, telling them what a what a woman Defining, was. Well, I was gonna yeah. help her out. Okay. I was gonna help her out. A okay, Mark. A, a, a woman is a life giver. Mm-hmm. With unconditional love, she's a sister. She's a mother. She's a helpmate. Uh, I, I just, I wish I could. I was hollering at her on the radio. She just couldn't hear me. Yes, no. Look, very well said. Very. And and let me and let me say something on a biological level. And 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 guys, look, I'm not I'm not trying to be, but but here we go. It's it's not just about how we feel and what we do on a bio. The the definition of who we are as women, God has written it into the cells of our body. Do you understand that women produce eggs, right? That a woman is born with all of the eggs that she will ever have. This this distinguishes us from men. In addition to the other obvious things okay mm-hmm. on a chromosomal level we are talking about xx chromosomes versus men xy i mean and i could go into more detail but i won't okay but we <laughs> have some clear ways that we can distinguish male and female and to our brother's point man all of these other things that the lord has so graciously given to us in the definition of what it is to be a woman look we've we've got to embolden our children to be just like our brother mark was here and just we got to tell the truth Amen. we just got to say it all right, Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Ron in Texas. Hi, Ron. Hey, guys. How are you? You got Hello. me sitting in my car here. Want to shout hallelujah, and, and people think I'm crazy sitting in the parking lot here. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's how, how you, God's speaking through you both. I, I say that uh, part of it uh, is I had to pull over here because it's one of my pet peeves and soapbox issues for 30 years now, and people think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. But uh, back to your point, Paul's point, and even further, right? Romans, Paul says in Romans, right? There's this internal war going on inside. He says again in, in, uh, in Galatians 7, there's this fight going on inside of us. Mm-hmm. It's not only the friction outside that we have, we should be dealing with. There should be always friction inside of us that keeps mm-hmm. us from, from getting comfortable, from going along with the crowd, mm-hmm. always yes. standing in line with Jesus. And if we are, we will endure the outside conflict as well. Mm. I, you know, I did prison ministry for 20-some-odd years, and one of the best experiences, the thing I loved most, was preaching the gospel inside a prison environment, asking guys there, demanding that they stand up in front of their gang members and everyone else and make a public profession of Christ and mm-hmm. live like Christ in the prison, prison environment. Everybody said, you're crazy, you're going to get them killed. We can't do that. I'm saying if you're not willing to follow Christ, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Why are we preaching? Why are we doing it? 
Man, I travel around there to church and every mile. Ron, I'm so sorry. I hate that I have to jump in. We've only got 15 seconds left. The phone lines will open them immediately tomorrow and get your take on today's show. Until then, Lord willing. God bless.